How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. All right, in today's episode with JJ Virgin, we discuss why suddenly changing your diet is the wrong approach, how to talk to teenagers about health, the real danger of hidden sugars, and how your mindset can create miracles. Everybody, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is none other than JJ Virgin. She's a four-time New York Times best-selling author as well as a celebrity nutritionist and fitness expert who is one of the very first personal trainers in LA back in the 80s. And since then, she's become one of the most recognizable names in the space. She's been featured on countless programs, including Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil, as well as a slew of radio and news shows. She's also the host of the JJ Virgin Lifestyle Podcast, where she herself dives into a massive array of topics around health and fitness. But what I want to know about is something you just told me before we started rolling, which is that when you were working with Dr. Phil, you guys tried to take over a town. Yes. And that the, <laughs> the results were somewhat This is surprising. so fun. This is all the stuff that I never get to talk about. So we're going to pull back the yes. curtain now. And you know, some of these things that you try to do on TV that are just an epic fail. The whole idea was back during the weight loss challenge days, and they decided to take over a town. So they send me in, and what they've done is they've gone in ahead of time and they have taken over the high school. Now they got the mayor on board. The mayor thought this was a great idea, but he didn't kind of check in with the whole town on what do you think about this, right? Yeah. And so they go into the high school and what they did was they just removed all of the fast food and they removed the kids' favorites like french fries, mm. cookies. They pulled it all out. So they took the french fries and they did a swap. Now I love swaps, but if I was gonna swap a french fry, my first choice wouldn't be a carrot stick. No one's fooled there, right? So they did all of this and then I get into town and they go, okay, here's what we're gonna have you do. We're gonna have you go to the high school and you're gonna sit down with the kids. These are a bunch of teenagers and we're gonna have you talk to them about nutrition and what they're gonna do, right? They wanted me to sit down and explain why we'd replaced the french fries with the carrot sticks and why we replaced the, the desserts with the fruit mm. and how great this was gonna be for them. And you can imagine what this was like. I was like this little lamb just thrown to slaughter with all of these very angry teenagers. What were they saying? We don't understand why, we don't care. We don't care, we don't care right? I mean, they didn't care. Mm. They didn't care that eating french fries was bad for them because when you're a teen, you can't, you're not selling health to a teenager. So you've got to meet them where they are, right? So for a teenager, what are they going to do? Maybe they want to be like one of the rock stars or one of the big athletic stars, but they really don't care. They're not thinking about the heart attack they're going to mm. not have when they're 60, right? They want the french fries. And this is something I've thought a lot about. Like, 
one with what we were trying to do with Quest was I didn't feel like I could convince people to um, make a lot of change in behavior. Our whole thing was how do you leverage behavior? But if you have kids and your kids are facing that kind of, I won't even call it peer pressure, but you walk into the school, there's a lot of fast food. The fast food companies, of course, are making sure that that's available in the schools in some cases. Right. Like, how do you appeal to them if they want to be, you know, the rock star of the school? They're not thinking about the avoiding the heart so attack. So send in the athlete or the pop star that they want to be like. Like, what they shouldn't have done is sent me in. Mm. They should have sent in someone like that and been aspirational and let them co-create what they need to do to have a life like that and get their buy-in and their why. I used to be a spokesperson for Subway and I remember I got one of, one of the doctors who I worked with was like, I can't believe you're gonna be a spokesperson for Subway. You know, it's, it's fast food. I go, Americans eat fast food. Yeah. So if I can work with them to make that fast food healthier and start to shift some behaviors that they're already gonna do, but we can help them do them better, great. They're gonna go and get energy bars. If we can get them to get a better choice than so many of them that are just adult candy bars, mm. great. Because you just gotta have one foot after the next, right? I mean, I, I was doing something on a home shopping channel and I, go, I couldn't say the names, but I had Almond Joy and Mounds, and mm. they had the same amount of sugar as, as a Cliff Bar, and I think it might have been the Luna Bar. I was like, are you kidding me? That was literally our marketing message was, it's the first protein bar that's not a candy bar in disguise, which is crazy. And you talk a lot about sneaky sugars mm -hmm. and the way that people, A, don't understand necessarily uh, what they're eating and B, that a lot of this stuff is just getting into our diet in ways that we wouldn't expect. So what are some of the areas that people should really be watching out for um, that they might not expect has sugar in it? Yes, so I love this quote from Dr. Mark Hyman who said uh, our number one recreational drug of choice is sugar. Mm. And it's true, and so why are we sneaking sugar into all these foods? Because then we'll want more of them. And so that's why the manufacturers are doing it in places that you wouldn't expect. It used to be turn of the century, we ate five pounds of sugar per person per year. It's now, gosh, it was 150 pounds of sugar per person per year. We're eating like basically Whoa. our weight in sugar and the obesity rates have gone from 0.5% to over, now we're more obese than overweight. So over That's 30%. Crazy. It's because of these things sneaking in and the biggest crime is them sneaking in and in, with the marketing messages to make it look like it's healthy. So take apple juice concentrate. We're all concerned about high fructose corn syrup, but apple juice concentrate has more fructose than high fructose corn syrup, but yet you can put it onto a label and say no sugar added, right? Doesn't this make you insane? And put it on like a kid's food or one of those silly fruit snacks or one of the yogurts, say no sugar added, mm. and then everybody thinks it's okay. It, the sauces, those silly salad dressings. I mean, when we went fat-free, back then it was everything, we gotta get the fat out of everything. And all of a sudden you were eating all this sugar, but it was okay because fat makes you fat. Yeah, I remember literally, so I was at, at roughly this time I was writing and I used to keep this big tub of red vine licorice. And I remember saying to my friend, cause she was like, you know, I, I think if you eat too much sugar, it turns to fat. And I was like, that doesn't really? even make sense. That literally didn't make sense <laughs> to me. I was like, how's that possible? How does sugar become fat? I don't even understand. So yeah, I was totally bought into that. I was too, I used fat. to eat six meals a day. I used to go from client to client to client and I would go, I had my frozen yogurt store 
and then I would go to Il Forneo and get a skinny latte and a, because um, I had a fat-free milk, right? Of course. And I'd get like a baguette and I would just eat all day long. Carbs. Yeah. Because yeah. I was starving. So talk to me about the drug-like effect of this stuff. Like why, why is it so hard for people to let go of this? Because I think that the reason that it's in the supply the way that it is is because we love it and we want mm -hmm. it and it's essentially people are serving up what we're asking for. But well, why are we and then we're for? also giving it to them and then we want it. You know, it's, it's, it's like which came first, mm. right? And so if you look at, so they did the cool study on rats where they looked at the reward center of the brain. And when rats were first given in, um, I think like some kind of morphine. And when they gave the rats morphine, it lit up this pleasure center, the reward center in their brain. Then they gave them Oreo cookies. It lights up the same pleasure center in the brain. And then they gave them the choice and they chose the Oreo cookies. Mm. But if you think about it, you've got That's gluten, crazy. dairy, and sugar together, that trifecta of an opiate-like effect mm. on the brain. So you start out and you have a little bit of it, and there's a couple different ways we become addicted to sugar. One is genetics. I mean, we have some people, I am genetically not, don't have a, a sweet taste, a sweet tooth. I'm so thrilled about that. Now my adopted mother does, so she plied me with sugar all growing up, but at age 12, I just quit. I don't like it. Like, wow. I do not have a sweet tooth, but you can get one because exposure equals preference. So you can train it, but then you also get that hit, you know, to the pleasure center of the brain, and also it boosts serotonin. And if you're stressed out, if you're stressed out, you are actually going to deplete serotonin, and then you're going to want more sugar to boost it on up. And then you also change your gut microbiome. So when you change your gut microbiome, you become more glucose intolerant. So now you're gonna need more sugar for fuel because your body can't access stored fat for fuel. So you start to get this whole like compound effect of like what's really going on? Well, these, all these factors start to create the problems. So how do we begin to back out of that? I know you've talked a lot about, um, or worked with people, I should say, with getting sugar out of their diet, how to deal with that. You talked about yeah. some of the replacement stuff, that there are smarter replacements and carrot sticks for French fries, but what is some of that stuff? For somebody watching now that's really tried, um, they want to, they've got the intent, but they just don't know what to do. How and do I we think everybody, that? I mean, no one sits down and goes, you know, I think I'm going to eat really crappy. That's what I'm going to do. That'll be perfect. <laughs> you know, I think we all want to eat healthier, but then we try to do too big of a change and we fail and then we go, see, mm. it's my genes. I'm getting older. So blah, give me blah, an example blah. of too big so, of a change. Well, French fries to carrot sticks. I'm not going to eat any sugar. I'm going to quit it all cold turkey. The reason I tackled sugar, and I never intended to, the first thing I started with, because I'm kind of obsessed with you being your own personal health detective and being able to connect the dots between how you feel and what you're eating. I think we've divorced ourselves from that with so many of these different programs. There is no diet that's right for everybody. It's really about looking at your, you know, where you are, your outcomes you want, your lifestyle you have, your genetics, your epigenetics, and going, all right, what outcome do I want right now? And I think diets help you learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So I write the Virgin Diet about testing these seven foods to see which works for you and which doesn't. And one of them was sugar. And the only reason I put sugar in there, because it wasn't in there at first. Whoa. Yes, this is what's really funny. I was doing that online with thousands of people. And because I was teaching doctors how to use food sensitivity testing in their office, and the same foods showed up, it was always gluten and dairy and soy and corn and eggs and peanuts. So I was like, why are the elimination diets with so complicated? Let's just focus on these ones. Mm. But what I found is when I didn't add sugar, people were just moving over to sugar. 
And I couldn't think about that because I'm not a sugar person, but I saw it over and over again. And fructose actually can make your gut more permeable and artificial sweeteners can disrupt your gut microbiome. So I write the virgin diet, I slip sugar in there as one of the seven, and this is like the uproar. I can quit those six, I can't, can't get rid of the sugar. So all those real diehard sugar addicts were the people I wrote the sugar impact diet for. And mm -hmm. what I did first was I did a little pilot task, because I thought if I, can, if I can do this with them, then I can do it with anybody, right? These are the ones that have failed. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that are self-proclaimed, I'm a sugar addict, I can't handle it. And so the first thing I did was I went to Amazon because I'm like, why have there been so many books written about sugar and yet we still have the problem? What's really going on? And my sense was because we were not taking people through the transition from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. We were just trying to like go here, cold turkey. And mm. unless you go stick them at Betty Ford, this is not going to work. That's right? interesting that you liken it that hard to addiction. Do you really mean that there's that kind of intense physiological withdrawal? Oh, yes. Well, because think about it. If you're used to eating sugar... And most people don't even realize where it's sneaking in. Mm. Again, they don't think about that green drink that they drank that actually is more sugar than a soda, right? Because it's a green drink. Yay for me. Or the fruit smoothie or whatever. They don't think about all the places. That's the, what kills me. The mochas, the bars. Like you look at a salad where they had the candied walnuts and then the dried fruit and then the raspberry vinaigrette or they went and had Chinese food, right? They just load themselves with sugar. So all of a sudden, you've got a body that's used to having incoming sugar throughout the day and using that for energy, and you yank it. And if you're insulin resistant, it's not like your body goes, okay, you know, I'm just gonna use that fat for a fuel source. I'll go dig it out of the belly. That'll be perfect. No, it goes, where is it? And you start to feel crappy. And so what happens when you start to feel crappy and low, you know, low blood sugar, you're not going to go wait it out. You're going to go get a cookie. So I knew that we had to take people through a transition from being a sugar burner to help them becoming a fat burner. And what I did was I rated foods high, medium, and low sugar impact, not based on sugar alone, but really looking at fructose separately and then also looking at how fast carbohydrates turn into sugar because, you know, just because something isn't straight sugar doesn't mean your body's not turning into sugar quickly like white bread. Right? So that's what I did and I tapered from, say, you know, someone eating white pasta to rice pasta to spaghetti squash. That would be an example of a taper, but over time. And then the other thing is I love adding before I take away. That's interesting. When you think about it, in most diets, what do they tell you to do? Okay, take this out, take yep. this out, take this out. And the minute someone says you can't have that, I'm like obsessed thinking about it. But if you start with telling them, listen, I want to make sure you're getting clean protein in each meal, some good healthy fats, foods with a lot of fiber, that trifecta for good blood sugar balance, because that's really the key to everything, you crowd out a lot of the crap. Mm. So that's kind of step one. That's really interesting. Now, thinking back to one thing that you said that really surprised you, and it certainly surprised me when you told me, is with all the people that you've worked with, when you asked, like, why is it that, why do you think you struggle with losing weight? The answer that people gave you, I found really, really interesting. What was it that they told you? How do you know this stuff? Man, oh my goodness. Dive, dive deep into the world. Wow. Wow. I'm wondering what else you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, this was a shocker because I literally thought with everything that I do, when I asked my community, what if you're not where you want to be with your weight, why not? I figured they go, it's sugar, you know, or mm. I can't give up my bread or my cheese. And that was not it when we asked people, it was because they didn't feel worthy. They didn't feel good enough. 
So we've got to always go back and start with people as to like, why do you want to do this? Why are you important enough? Why does this matter? Before you start to try to change things for them and with them. And how do you then deal with that? Like, how do you help people through that? Because you're, there's a reason you've endured. There's a reason that you've been around in such a potent force in this industry for so long. And I think it's because you sit at this intersection of really understanding the, the realities of the biological responses and neurochemistry and everything of what we eat, but you also understand mindset. Um, so one, I'd love to know how you help those people. And then I'd love to hear uh, the just absolutely astonishing story of how you really developed this um, mother warrior mentality that you have? So I think maybe it's just because also I just haven't quit, <laughs> you know, right? Because that's a big part of it is just continuing to show up. Um, I'm obsessed with how to help people get results. I mean, it was, it was actually very early on when I was a personal trainer. Back then, people were hiring me because they wanted to lose weight. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, you can't exercise out exercise a bad diet like so exercise is important for maintaining your weight and for shifting kind of your body's um, hormonal responses we didn't even know about hormones and exercise back then but I, I knew intuitively that if you had more muscle that it wasn't about doing bunches of cardio that if you had more muscle it would shift things I didn't understand that also helps with insulin sensitivity but I, I knew that diet was key but what I started to see above that that was crazy was, and I remember I had this one woman who I helped her and she was getting so lean and fit and healthy and her husband didn't dig it. That's interesting. He was threatened. Oh, I saw this happen now multiple times. And so she went right back to where she was. And then I started to watch people as they started to lose weight and get healthier. If they didn't really believe that was their self-image, they started to shift back. So you still, you have to work on who do you want to be? You know, who are you? What, what's your vision for yourself? Then you start to take the steps as to how to get there. And you have to be so clear on that. In fact, we had this woman who ate ice cream bars all the time, but she, like literally every hour, she had gastric bypass, but she would eat ice cream bars every hour because she'd fill up her pouch otherwise. So she would wake up all night long and eat ice cream bars every hour. Whoa. Okay, crazy. Why? Because she was addicted to ice cream bars. But here's what I did. She remembered herself as this lean, healthy, fit woman. She remembered when she used to be there. And I was like, let's get that picture. We actually took a picture of her back when she was that way mm -hmm. and put it, I put it on an ice cream stick, and I put it in the freezer in front of the ice cream bars. <laughs> you know, it's like when you open that, think about, you know, because they can't exist together. You got to pick the one, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to remember who you are and then operate from that. So I think we've got to go back to getting really clear on the why with whatever we want to accomplish in life and then make sure that we're taking steps in that direction. If you start to go this way, grab out that picture again to remind yourself of who you are and where you're going. You know, it's that Wayne Dyer, you'll, you know, you'll believe it when you see it, you gotta, and you'll see it when you believe it. You know, it's right. both ways. So first thing I'm gonna do is see it, then I can believe it. And if I believe it, then I'll see it. Mm. Yeah, talk to me about that. So your story may be one of the most extraordinary stories I've ever heard of leading with belief. Um, tell us about your son, what happened to him, and how you were able to leverage belief. Yes. And when I wrote the book, Miracle Mindset, it was very interesting because people kept asking me how I did it. And I'll share the story. And 
it actually all happened. And this is why it's so important to work on your habits and your mindset and your health because you never know when you're going to be called this level and have this. So this actually happened on a Monday. On a Sunday, I was walking through an airport. I'd just been to a big event and they'd been training on the hero's journey and I thought, well, I got no good hero's journey. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Yeah. My book was getting ready to launch The Virgin Diet. It was a couple, I think, four weeks out to our big pre-launch campaign. I'd invested everything into it and I'd borrowed money. I am the financial support for my kids. They're 15 and 16. My son, Grant, who was 16, walks out at dusk to go to a friend's house. And the next thing I know, my other son and ex-husband come running into the house and say Grant's been hit by a car and airlifted to the local hospital. Now, you don't airlift someone when they break their leg. Right. We did not know what was going on. Uh, my son and my ex-husband drove by the accident scene, it was only a couple blocks from our house, and saw, saw all of this like leftover remnants of a scene and asked what had happened. And there was a policeman on the scene who looked at my other son and said, a boy got hit, he looked just like him. Because they were wow. Irish twins, right? They were a year apart. So we race to the hospital and they usher us into a conference room. This doctor said, your son's been the victim of a hit and run. And he was, a neighbor actually saw this, saw a woman get out of her car, gasp, get back in her car, drive off. So our, your son's been a victim of a hit and run. He has a torn aorta. That is what killed Princess Diana. It was hanging on by an onion skin. He says it's gonna rupture sometime in the next 24 hours if it's not repaired, but we can't repair it here. It's a very specialized surgery. And he's got three multiple brain bleeds. If we were to repair his aorta, his brain would bleed out because we'd have to use a blood thinner. And it was like I was looking at a movie. It was like my brain was going, not your son, not your son, not your mm -hmm. son. This could not be real because he was covered in road rash and he had these bones sticking through his skin. And uh, the doctor said, you know, you gotta let him go. And he says, he's never gonna survive the airlift to the hospital in LA he needs to go mm -hmm. to. And even if he was, he wouldn't survive surgery. And even if he did, he'd be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. To which my 15 year old Yoda son says, so maybe a 0.25% chance he'd make it. And the doctors say, yeah, that sounds about right, son. He goes, well, we'll take those odds. The doctor walks up to me, there's five surgical teams. Wow. And the doctor that put it all together, who's totally an angel said, you know, he's like, you the mom? <laughs> I'm like, complete mess. And he goes, listen, I got this. I do this all the time. I just fixed one couple days ago. Someone got thrown off an overpass. I totally can do this, don't worry about it. You go up wow. to the waiting room. I'll come get you in a couple hours when I'm done. I said, all right. And I was on a discovery show at the time. So I go up to the waiting room and I'm writing all the blogs and stuff I have to get done because he said he'd be fine. So I'm like totally going to go with that. Mm. And uh, I get, he comes up, he goes, all right, he's fine, fixed. He goes, now, I don't know if he'll ever wake up. That's not my job. I'm just the plumber. Mm. I'm like, great. I walked into Grant and, uh, you know, because he's in this deep coma. He had to have two orthopedic teams putting rods into his femurs. So I'm holding these couple fingers. And I said, Grant, you know, I love you so much. We're here, no response. And the machines are going beep, beep, you know, nothing's happening. And then I said, and your girlfriend Mackenzie loves you so much. And I feel this squeeze, I'm like, uh, he's there. And then I said another name I knew wouldn't make any difference and no response. And I said, and your brother Bryce is right here with you. And it was like, bam, 
lift my hand up off the bed. Wow. And that's when I said, Grant, I need you to fight. You, you're going to be 110%. I have got every resource you need here. I'm calling them all in. Your name means warrior. You need to fight. I will get you to be 110%. We've got this. And he is better than he was before the accent. Wow. Now I need to manifest the next big one for him. But he is better than before the accent. He literally is. That's incredible. How do you think the, your mentality and flipping that switch when your son says, all right, you know, we'll take those odds, how does that actually influence your decision making? So for somebody that hears a story and thinks, I can never do that, how does, does deciding that you're going to make this happen, how does it actually play out? So I had this great mentor at 30 who is responsible for my son being alive. She's responsible wow. really for everything that's happened. And I wish she was here so I could tell her. She unfortunately passed, but I'm sure she knows. And it all happened because um, I was a personal trainer in Fort Lauderdale. And she said to me one, at one point, she goes, why are you in school? Because I was at University of Miami in grad school. And I said, well, because I want to impact more people. And she goes, great, huh, all right. What are you going to do when you graduate? I said, I'm going to go get my doctorate. And she goes, huh, why? I go, because I want to impact more people. And she's like, huh. Well, you know, those don't actually correlate. And I go, they don't? Because in my family, you just went to school. That's mm -hmm. what you do. You graduate from high school, you went to college. And then when sure, I was at UCLA and everyone at UCLA had to go to grad school. Like, it was just what you did. I never gave any thought to, well, maybe that doesn't get you where you want to go. She goes, I'll teach you. Now, she was a self-made multimillionaire who grew up in a trailer park. Wow. I said, all right, that's awesome. I'm in. I literally sold my personal training business and moved into her house. Wow. And it was like a Mr. Miyagi moment where I move in and I'm like, all right, teach me, I'm ready. Like, I wanna learn everything about business. It's gonna be awesome. And she goes, cool, put these rubber bands on. So I put these rubber bands on my wrist. She goes, now, every time you have a limiting belief, judgment, critical, snap it. Like, all right, when are you gonna teach me business though? Like, she goes, not, I will. Oh, well, you gotta start there. Because you don't realize that if you do not tightly manage your environment, that if someone tells you you can't do something, they'll be right. Because the reality is, we create our luck. Anything is possible. I knew with my son, as long as he was breathing, that I could harness anything out. I mean, I have so many contacts, and with the internet, we all do, right? And I could get him there, because I was gonna keep turning stones over until I got him to be 110%, till I got him to be better than he was before the accident, that it was completely possible to do. But at first, if you think about it, every single thing that we do in life is created twice. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't sit down one day and build the first quest bar physically. It first started here. Right? Sure. So anything that we want to do has to first start here. You stir first start with the belief. And then just go make it happen one foot after the next, after the next. And that's what I did with Grant. I mean, there was literally any person who thought logically would have said there's no way. But he was still breathing. There was a 0.25% chance. And I just knew that I'd just keep staying forward and going, what's next? What's next? What's next? Even when he was in a coma, we started with essential oils. Then we added progesterone. Then we added fish oil. We started doing hyperbaric. Um, we did stem cells. I brought in all of the top doctors who, fortunately, I was friends with a lot of them, but I had amazing help from people like Dr. Daniel Lehman and Dr. Mm. Hyla Cass. So I just started recruiting people to help. And How did you recruit them? 
Like, did you already know Dr. Amy? Fortunately, I knew, I'd known him for years. Um, and so I just reached out and asked people. I'd heard about progesterone therapy from a, from a buddy of mine, Dr. Anna Kabeca, and she told me about the researcher who discovered it, and I just emailed him and asked him about it because it was a 72-hour therapy for people to give them progesterone to help with reducing inflammation in the brain. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, I'm outside of the 72-hour window. Um, will this still work? He goes, we just did 72 hours because that's what the funding was. <laughs> Like, yeah. ah, I go, if it was your family member, would you do it past that? And he goes, absolutely. I go, that's all I needed to know. Mm. Thank you so much, right? How do you keep turning over those rocks? Like, walk me through that process. This is something that I think a lot, you talk about like people need to prepare now. I think this would be really useful for people. They don't know when they're gonna need it, but someday right. they're gonna need it where they're in just a, a terrifying situation. They are absolutely paralyzed. They do not know what to do. And some of that's like the memory game. At first it just starts with you turn over a card. It's exactly, that's exactly it. So when you think about life, there's one thing for sure, things are gonna happen. And how you show up can be a life or death situation. Now, when I wrote Miracle Mindset, I honestly didn't know if Grant was going to make it. When I was writing that book, because one of the things that happens when you have a brain injury is that you're very suicidal, and he tried to kill himself numerous times, wow. numerous times. I mean, I remember at one point I was like, I like jumped him, you wow. know, and he was dragging me down the street telling me he was just going to get hit by a car again, and I'm like getting Whoa. dragged down the street, right? I I'd, I'd called 911, and here I am getting dragged down the street, you know, but I'm like, I'm not letting go. You're, we're going down together. At first I thought, well, this is the story about my son surviving. Oh, it's got nothing to do with my son surviving. It is how you show up when situations happen because they're going to. And if you look at the most successful people that we both know, um, Dean Graziosi and Joe Polish, and they've, everyone's been through crap. I mean, shoot, Dean lived not, not in a trailer. He lived in a bathroom, mm. right? I mean, it's how you show up that changes everything and the cool thing is is that's got nothing to do with your race your religion how much money you have how tall you are it's got to do with your mindset you can train that and again i was just lucky at age 30 that i had a woman take me under her wing and i literally for six months i didn't get to learn business for six months for six months she taught me on mindset on controlling my environment on staying positive on being a possibility thinker on turning over all those stones because you just start with that first step Everywhere I am right now was because of those things she taught me when I was 30 and I put into motion. Mm. You said that she taught you a lot of phrases. What were some of the phrases that have stayed with you? Um, a big one is the only limitations are the limitations in your mind. Mm. She had us do something early on where you pull out a sheet of paper and you write down everything that you want. And I've done this with my mastermind. Okay, pull out a sheet of paper, write down every, like all the things, think big, like, like, and get totally materialistic. I know we're not supposed to be materialistic, but write down the car you want and the house you want, and the, the places you want to travel to and the shoes and the jewelry, write it all down. And we write it down thinking we're thinking so big, right? She goes, okay. So I remember at the time I wanted a Jaguar. Mm. Teal green, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I don't even know what to say. How did you, I, like, that's just crazy. So I wanted this Jaguar and, and uh, I wanted a condo and, and she's like, huh, oh, Jaguar, teal green. Why just one? I'm like, well, I don't need two. She goes, I didn't ask you what you needed, right? And she go like, so you want to live in Hawaii with a condo? Oh, 
why not a house? No, well, it's just me. Mm. She goes, well, you can still have a house. Oh, okay, I'll have a house. She goes, well, um, what part of, of Hawaii? I go, well, Maui. She goes, all right, well, which part of Maui? And I told, I think it was like, well, Kanapali. And she goes, well, why not all of Maui? Oh, okay, well, why not all the Hawaiian Islands? Right? You know, I mean, we're so trained to, to it, it, but it was so good to feel so expansive. If my son gets hit, I could have gone, well, I hope he survives. Right. I see a lot of people out there just surviving. I didn't want him to just survive. He could have just survived and been, you know, had a horrible quality of life. That's what I was absolutely frightened of. I did not know what it was going to be like when he woke up out of that coma. When he first came out of that coma, he literally was lying in bed, staring like this, and moving one arm back. It was the only thing that he could move on his mm. body, moving his arm back and forth. And I'm like, oh, what did I do, right? And that's when the, the only way I could make it through that was go, he's 110%, 110%, 110%. You know, the hospital people thought I was insane. Mm. But like, I couldn't let my brain go to, what if this is it? What if this is it, right? That I could never go there. And like, I can, I can imagine what that would feel like to have a moment where you think, did saving him actually help him or hurt him? Mm -hmm. And in those moments, was it just that mantra, like the blind faith that you were going to get him to 110% that allowed you to cope? Or did you have other things that you were doing to, to stay focused? So knowing that I had a next step was one of those things that just was good for anxiety, right? So I think in anything, when we have a big vision, you just have to know what the next step is. So how do you, how do you find that next step? I mean, this goes back to part of my obsession in life because it was so scary for me in my early 20s. I did not know how to turn rocks over. And I, I certainly didn't think that the answer was just keep turning rocks over until you find something useful. Like, how do you help people find that next step? Like if somebody came to you in that moment of crisis, but it was in an arena that you knew nothing about, mm -hmm. how would you help them identify the next step? You know what's so cool nowadays is it's never been easier to figure out a next step. That's fair. Right? I mean, come, like I think about, I get reached out almost every single day by someone in crisis because their loved one is, um, has a traumatic brain injury, mm. like almost every day looking for a next step. So it's pretty easy nowadays to find the next step. Um, but even if the next step is just looking for the next step, you took a step, mm. right? And let's say someone wants to lose 100 pounds. You first have to start with something like, all right, I'm going to start to drink more water. And that sounds so ridiculous. They're like, but no, I want to lose 100 pounds. I mean, shouldn't I just go on a fast for like, you know, a month? <laughs> it's like, let's just start with drinking more water. Then we'll start with getting more sleep. Mm. Then we'll start with like, right, if you just one step and it's that whole baby step thing. It doesn't have to be, it just has to be forward motion. Yeah, I love the way you break things down. It's um, one, you're very good at starting with something super simple like drinking more water, like not going from french fries to carrot sticks. Well, the reason that I put this shirt on, so I always pick a shirt that means something to me for the guest and I think that you look really powerfully at no bullshit, what would it take? <laughs> and looking I at- I call it tough love with love. All right, I dig that. <laughs> um, one thing that you have talked about, which I just found astonishing, is forgiveness. How did you feel about the woman that hit him? So it's, it's interesting. I didn't realize how active a process forgiveness was. So when the woman hit my son, was very interesting what happened in my town. I was in LA at this hospital. So I moved to LA 
and I was living next to the hospital in Torrance, but I was getting these emails from the community in Palm Desert, and it was a witch hunt wow. after this woman. And they were, I remember a gal emailed me, she goes, we're gonna put up a $10,000 fund to Whoa. find this woman. And I said, why? Well, because she did this. I'm like, but A, if you're gonna put up $10,000, support my son. Mm. That's a way more important thing. I go, B, I'm not spending one bit of energy there. I gotta be over here. And C, we don't know if it was her fault. Like, she shouldn't have driven off. But I have no idea what her story was. What if she was an illegal immigrant and she had children at home and she would have been put into jail? And like, there's so many things that could have happened. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. So what, how does that change anything? And maybe, just maybe, this is exactly what was supposed to have happened for Grant. Maybe he needed this. Like, we stood in the hospital that night and we went, maybe this is our second chance here. Maybe this is the turnaround. He was going down a really bad path. Maybe this was all supposed to happen. Maybe he walked in front of the car. No one knows. Mm. But everyone was so quick to blame this woman, judge her, all of the stuff. And I go, this is, there's, there's no good energy going over there. I'm like releasing that. And I didn't spend my time there. And I'd never known that you have to actually process these things. If you still have a charge around someone, mm. It's, by the way, not hurting them whatsoever. It's only hurting you, right? Yeah. So we went through this whole process. And the, the reality was, I went through this process and forgave this woman. My, my son's never, n none of us have ever, my ex-husband, neither my son, no, it never occurred to us from day one. Like, I don't even call it like calling him a victim of a hit and run. To me, there are no victims, only volunteers, and that's another phrase from my mentor. What do you mean by that? I heard that, and I wasn't quite sure I understood you what you decide. meant by volunteer. You decide. You decide. Like, something crappy happens to you. You can decide that that was the worst thing ever happened to you or how you're going to make it be good for you. Mm. You look at people who've gone through bad circumstances, and, in, in, and I will tell you, the night that Grant got hit, I didn't go, oh, this is going to be the best thing ever happened. Right. <laughs> this is so good. Yay! This is going to be awesome, right? I mean, but I kept going, okay, What's good about this? How can I move forward? What do I need to do to get help? What can I do here, right? You know, you just, you, I could have sat there, had a pity party, or I could have gotten into action on what do I need to do? I'm going to be 110%. John and I literally looked at Grant and went, this is our second chance. How are we going to do this, right? How are we going to make this the best thing? What can we do? That is not being a victim. And I was like, I should just let him go. Why didn't I just let him go? If I'd let him go, he wouldn't have gotten hit by the car. A weird intuitive piece of me feels like it, this all was supposed to be exactly what it was, but um, I was blaming myself, and so I had to go through that whole forgiveness protocol, and I think a lot of to times... To forgive yourself. To forgive yourself. Like, when you really get down to it and you start to dig into all these things and you're so mad at someone, the reality is quite often when you really unpack all of that, the person you're most upset with is you. How did you forgive yourself? Well, there's a protocol to do it. So you actually can walk through it, and it may take a couple times, and sometimes you have to rest for a little bit and come back and do it, but there's a way that you do this where you, you assign a judge and jury, and you can pick who you want, and then you decide where this is going to be, like where are you having this, where's your courtroom, and then you basically, and you have the person you're charging with the crime, it could be you, and you go before the judge and jury and you charge the person with the crime and you let it all out. I mean, you just charge that person one side to the other until there's nothing left. You've got it all out. And then you have to step into 
their shoes. And you have to explain what was really going on. And then you come back and you basically forgive them. You find what was good about this and you're empathetic to it. And then you check in with the judge and jury to see if you really did it. Right. And this is all happening in your own mind, right? Yep. This is not it's all like happening in your own mind. Your There's friends. no judge or jury. There's right. no friends there. There's no nothing there. You're just going through all of this. But it's, it's really about learning to become empathetic. You know, they talk about like you're driving down the street and someone cuts you off and they scream at you and or you scream at them and they're such a horrible person and what you didn't know is they were racing to the hospital because, you know, their mother just had a heart attack or something. Like it just allows you to go, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Yeah, God, I could keep asking you questions all day. Like you've, you've really overcome what have been just moments of extraordinary fear. How, what technique do you have to deal with that? To reframe. I actually, I believe fear is a sign that we're stepping into a bigger arena that we need to be in. Like to me, the litmus test in life is if you are not afraid, you are not playing big enough. It means you need to go out bigger, right? I mean, I can always tell them like when I'm in my comfort zone, I'm like, mm, you know, there is no growth in your comfort zone. None. So if you have taken on, like I just took on a, a speaking gig that's totally outside my comfort zone. It's already, it's months away and it's already like, mm, yeah. you know, and I, this is good. This is going to force me to stretch and step up to a higher level. So that's what I always look at. And then you look and go, what's the worst thing that could happen here? I always go through that. What's the worst thing that could happen? I never sit in that because I'm always then going to identify and manifest that thing. I, I believe that we can manifest just about anything. Grant's proof positive on that. But I always go through, okay, what's the worst thing to happen? I could like walk out there, fall on stage. My dress could flip over my head. I could totally blow it. Everyone could boo and throw things at me. All right, so did anyone die? Because that's my litmus test yeah. for is life really bad? Did anyone die? No, nope. all right, okay, cool. <laughs> no, I love that. All right, before I ask my last question, tell these guys where they can find you online. It's really complicated, jjvirgin.com. Boom. Spelled just like it sounds. There it is, nice and easy. All right, my final question. What is one thing that people can change in their life to have the biggest impact on their health? So, I really believe in habit hacking, right? Because if you take it one habit at a time, habits dictate hormones and that's gonna change everything. So the first thing that you have to do is really make the decision that you're worth it, right? Because if you make the decision that you're worth it, because we all are here for a big reason, and you can't do that if you're you know, exhausted, tired, dragging your butt. So the first thing you have to do is decide that you're actually worth it, and then pick that first habit that you need to do, because it's different for everybody. You might be sleeping great, in which case that's not the habit you need to fix. You might be drinking the water, but it's not the big complicated thing you think it is. It's one that you know you can have that first win with, so that one win creates the next win, creates the next win. Totally. Awesome. JJ, thank you so much for coming thank on the show. You. That was really amazing. Guys, this, what you saw here, is, I promise, the tip of a very large iceberg. The amount of wisdom that she has, both on just the biological part of diet to the psychological part of why we eat, why we crave the things that we crave, all the way to mindset and overcoming fear and all the things that she's been through in her life and really being an extraordinary example of 
how to bring that all together from having the energy to fight through what she's had to fight through to having her mind in the right place and being ready to step into that role as she said, to rise up and step into that bigger arena. It's, it's really amazing. And the more you dive into the things that she's covered from her books to the talks that she gives to the interviews that she does, the more you're going to be filled with the tools that you guys need to go and do the same things. I promise it will be time well spent. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you. thank you again. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.